Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. All right. Even across town, latency and all failing. <laughs> How's your day going, Sean? Uh, it's a hot one, right? It uh, It's like it's like 100 degrees outside. I don't know, though. I went and ate outside on the porch today. I think everybody in my office was like, what are you doing? It's horribly hot out here. And I'm like, this is the perfect day as long as you're in the shade. I kind of like the heat. I don't like a ton of humidity, though. I like it a little warm, too, but um, like extended periods out in the heat are a little bit bit hard for me. So I'm I'm a wimp. (laughs) Yeah, I I went to the Middle East and wore like long sleeves the whole time I was there for the military and two shirts, mainly because I catch fire in the sun, but. I don't know. It wasn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't complain (laughs) about how hot it was or anything. As long as it wasn't humid. It was a dry heat, right? Uh, well, for the most part, I was in Qatar. Okay. And, and so it's a peninsula, right? And there were days that I don't know if it was like just blowing off the ocean or what, but it would be like, (laughs) you get up in the morning and walk outside and there, we'd have like chairs sitting outside and they would have water on them. like. Not like a little bit of dew, but like water yeah. <laughs> where it had condensed on there. So there was some humidity in the air, but, but it was it, like, I think it rained twice. Uh, I just re- found out the other day. Well, I, I knew it was a thing, but I looked up the word. Uh, I think it's called Vigra, Vigra, V-I-G-R-A, I think. Hmm. And it's rain that evaporates before it touches. the. Oh, that's interesting. And I mean, sometimes you see it here in the Midwest though, like Mm -hmm. you see like a a storm cloud, but it's normally up high and you see like some rain coming out of it, but you see where it like doesn't actually come down. Yeah. Well, when we were in the Middle East, it rained twice and the rain got low enough before it evaporated. It wasn't like a heavy rain either. It was more like a mist. It got low enough that my shirt was wet. But my shoes and pants were dry. (laughs) Now, it wasn't like soaked, but it was wet. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then it smells like dead fish for three or four days. It was gross. (laughs) Yeah. It makes me wonder how that. uh, Sorry, uh, I don't want to turn this into sports cast again, Um, but uh, they're going to have the World Cup in Qatar. Um, oh really? This, this coming November, which is kind of wild because it's usually during the summer, right? Um, yeah. And uh, and I think they had to, you know, there's there's a whole whole deal there with sports washing. Um, people are concerned about, you know, how how did they get it except for money, right? Which is a big part of it anyway. Um, right. But, you got to uh, be able to build a stadium and yeah, have a tourist industry and all that. Yeah, yeah. and they had they had like the. Uh, I don't know if there's like the club world cup there a few years back and stuff like that. So, um, but, but honestly, uh, it's, it's kind of amazing that they're attempting anything like this in Qatar, uh, just simply because it's so hot and dry there. Like, how do you, how do you have a pitch with grass on it? you know, I, like, Oh no, they're really good at growing grass in Doha. Like <laughs> you, you drive through Doha at the right time of day and there are sprinklers going off everywhere. Wow. And there's like lush green in the middles of the roads. And yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. Um, I bet they, they can do it when they want to. 
<laughs> but it is definitely man watered. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Anyway, it's that's wild. Yeah, I don't understand why people get up in arms about what's well, all money based. Well, sure. Like, why don't you go do it at Carlinville High School in Carlinville, Illinois? Like, you know, hundred hundred kids per class. That's great. Like, just do it on their pitch. It'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's it's more about, um, and I don't know anything specific about Qatar as a country, you know, and any of its potential, you know, geopolitical entanglements. But I think people are concerned about countries like Qatar, and and the most recent thing to to blow up has been the new golf league that the Saudi Arabia is sponsoring in a big way. Um, as well as a bunch of clubs in Europe getting bought up by oil billionaires from the Middle East. I say clubs, I mean soccer clubs. Mm-hmm. The uh, and and so like you know what I don't know if sports washing is really a thing. I think a lot of people recognize that you know it might be an ethical dilemma. Um, okay, explain what sport washing is. Uh, it's the idea that uh, you know a a potentially you know a person or a group of people of potentially dubious ethical standards could burnish the reputation a little bit by, you know, putting on a sporting event. I think, I think that the best example is probably the Olympics in Sochi in 2014, right before mm-hmm. the invaded, right before Russia invaded Ukraine. And, uh, I was listening to a podcast about this, uh, this past week and, and they said, yeah, it was like $50 billion or something. Uh, that they spent to put on winter Olympics in a place that doesn't have <laughs> a lot of that stuff. And another example, like this past winter, the China, like a lot of people have problems, mm-hmm. ethical problems with China, you know, and they put on the Olympics and it was a big deal. So, you know, that, that's the general idea that, you know, they can, they can appear to be, you know, philanthropic or interested in, in, in public goods while still having a bad record with their, own citizens or other citizens had yeah, the Berlin or, or Olympics, customers right? or whatever With Hitler. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I I'm, I'm going to say that I, I feel like where the Olympics were held had little impact. If on your not, perception of them. Yeah. Yeah. If not, if not a negative impact on those com- countries, like, Berlin hosting the Olympics, it, like around In World 36. War II. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, all <laughs> all it did was bring light to what was going on there even more, mm-hmm. and and it so it was probably a not a good thing on their part to have done that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I should not talk about politics because I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. I try, but <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a. Chris Keithley and just say, I don't, I don't think that's a thing. It probably not. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. What else has been going on? Anything exciting? Uh, so I ran into this interesting thing yesterday. I don't, I think I found it on LinkedIn and Jose had shared it. It's not really a polished yet, but it's a neat idea. And I, I think it's, it's like the second or third thing I've seen with this sort of pattern and it's called honey potion. And Basically what it is, and I'm going to have to do a little bit of explaining for people who aren't familiar with the terms I'm going to bring up. I have no idea what honey potion is. (laughs) Well, that's just a name of the the, the library. Uh, Basically, 
I'll give the synopsis first. Uh, Honey Potion is a library that lets you create um, eBPF traps in the Linux kernel and uh, and and write the code for it from Elixir. So first of all, that's pretty cool. Uh, you're writing, so I need to explain a little bit. Uh, yeah, I e- don't know what these trap things are either. Let's... Yeah, e- eBPF is a tiny, um, very restricted virtual machine that runs inside the kernel. Um, and its main purpose, at least its original purpose, was so that you could write high-performance network software. So BPF stands for Berkeley Packet Filter. And they, when the E was added to it, they said, oh, well, we, we can, you know, because this worked so well for packets, we could use this to do, like, miniature programs on all sorts of other events that happen inside the kernel. So uh, a big use case of it right now is building instrumentation tools. So like, you know, I need to profile my program or I need to find why it's, you know, running this thing instead of that thing. And it's, you know, it's compiled code. So like you, you can, you can uh, trace what system calls it does and, and what the contents of those uh, arguments sent to system calls are and all, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so it's a pretty, pretty useful thing. Very low level. Uh, but these folks have uh, created an Elixir front end and back end for it. Um, and um, if you have looked at NX, the, mm-hmm. uh, the machine learning toolkit, um, yep. numerical computing for Elixir, uh, it does some similar things. So like you have a, an NX, you have uh, sort of these abstract numerical operations that you can create. Um, and they're just Elixir code, right? But the NX framework can decide, do I want to like compile that out to use some like high performance C++ library? Or do I want to use like, uh, whatever the, the latest, uh, on GPU computing things are now, like it can, it can take your Elixir code and turn it into that native code. And after it's compiled once it'll like have massive speed up. Uh, so this is a similar idea. Um, what happens is it, uh, the, the Elixir code, um, has some macros or something. Um, I don't recall exactly, but you write straightforward Elixir code, limited recursion depth, partly because of what EPF, EBPF provides. Um, it does has no recursion, so basically you get loop unrolling and jumping and all that. Mm-hmm. But but then it'll emit C code, and the C code gets compiled down to BPF, and you can load that into the kernel and get your instrumentation out. Uh, so I think that's that's a really cool idea. I, I haven't seen too many people doing stuff like that. So now we don't have to write JavaScript and we don't have to write C. That's, <laughs> that's what I got. It's all that's done. That's what I got out of that. You know, everything's like, done. Everything's, everything's that's sweet. Elixir. We're all I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, yeah. So it's live view for live view for the kernel events. Yeah. yeah perfect. So, so <laughs> the, the next step is clearly someone sets up live view that, uh, you know, slurps in the BPF you know, tracing and, you know, displays it on a dashboard. You heard it here first. So come full circle. <laughs> that's pretty wild. Yeah. That, All right. That's, now, that's, wait, we got, we got to go back yeah. to something that, that happened on Twitter last week. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Human resource machine. No, uh, that was just a few days ago. <laughs> yeah. Was it felt like three months ago? I don't know. <laughs> so, you mentioned an LLVM 
parser so that you could right not, uh, yeah not what what I, what yeah, I was asking yeah. was um and again we may have to give people context human resource machine is this really no just go look it up people just go look no. it up <laughs> crazy game crazy game um it, it is it is uh like mips or 8051 or yep. right uh i just blanked out on the term for that that's horrible that I can remember assembly? the different <laughs> assembly language. Yeah. I was like, I can remember the different languages, but I can't remember. <laughs> what it's yeah. Called. So, so uh, I was asking, has anyone written an LLVM target for a human resource machine? So like LLVM is the big compiler toolkit. And one of the, it's, it's like, uh, I would say almost half of the magic behind the rust programming language, which I'm using a lot lately. And it has a really great C C plus plus compiler front end for it. Um, called Clang, uh, that you may have run on your Mac before unintentionally. And a lot of languages use it. Yeah, and a lot of languages use it. And like the whole goal of it is you can put all the optimizations um, that you want in your compiler um, in one place, and you don't have to write them because other people have written them. And then uh, if you have the right description of the architecture that you're trying to compile your program to, this is what's called a target. Um, then it'll emit, you know, assembly or machine code for your target. So I thought, hey, you know, like, I don't know, I got to level 20, 24, something like that. And human resource machine is freaking hard. (laughs) (laughs) It is so hard. And then some of them, it's like, um, because you're essentially that the puzzles are like assembly programs that you're writing. Um. There are all sorts of ways that like you could do it more efficiently and that oh, yeah. like it's really hard to think inside the game uh, about writing really efficient assembly code when mm-hmm. your assembly code is like boxes and arrows and things. <laughs> I usually play that game with pencil and paper. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like there, it's it brings up you know there's a there's a lot of like fundamental algorithms that we take for granted now that like you could write in you know a few lines of code in any language, um, mm-hmm. that you like pour over tediously <laughs> in that game, <laughs> um, and and also it, like it it brings to the fore I think some some of the fundamental problems of compiler construction, the big one being register allocation because essentially in some some of the puzzles you get spots on the floor where you can hold temporary values mm-hmm. and those are kind of like registers in a cpu right um and then you have an output one which would be like you know your primary register your accumulator whatever um mm-hmm. or or maybe it's like you could think of it like an output port on a like a really small device you just say let me write this byte over here um to this output port um so so like Hey, we got these like amazing compiler things. Why don't we have it? Why don't I write a basic code in some other language than human resource machine and have it compile to to that and give me a really efficient program? I don't know if it would work. So, so I think we should write a human resource machine solver in Elixir. Okay. And you just, I think, I think this should totally be a meetup thing where we really get Alan to do it. Friend of the show. Yeah, get Alan to do it. <laughs> <laughs> He's really good at making game things. So uh, where you you just input like the parameters mm-hmm. of the of the step 
and then it outputs here's the program. Yeah, and I, I I think part of the challenge of this and why like a straight LLVM target might not work, it might have to be one where you like have pluggable configuration values or something, um, is that each puzzle may have a different number of spots on the floor where you can store to store a temporary value. And some of them have particular properties to them that make it so you can't just use them arbitrarily. If I recall correctly, it's it's been a while since I played it. I, I just the other day I noticed it in my Steam library. I was like, hey, that was a fun game and aggravating at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember them being different, but uh, but some of them you get fewer, yeah, I don't right? Know. Like you get That's more true. or fewer. So, like or, the size of your machine is very different, right? Right. right. So you, so you, you might have, have to. Write to another, I, I've never written a target. I haven't either. For LLVM. I've used LLVM for like writing a little toy language and stuff, but never tried to write a target for it. I just use the existing ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks it looks very. I mean, it's a very C plus plus heavy code base. Um, I would probably be stepping in all the potholes and yep I think firing I'd all the foot guns the, <laughs> i think i'd rather just figure out how to put the parameters in on a on a elixir app and let it generate here's what the code should be i think the, i think that would be doable yeah yeah give it a long enough time frame mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and then you could put a web front end on it so that people could go in and type in their own and it just says, here's your, here's your program. Yeah. And I, I mean, it, it is a game, right? Like at some point, am I just taking the fun out of it by make, by making it, you know, almost automated the solution. Almost all games that I've played have after a while, I'm like, all right, how can I program something that will do the game? Mm-hmm. And I find that more interesting than playing the game. I think that's kind of when I, faded from playing games i still play them once in a while but for the most part like i actually get way more enjoyment out of almost like figuring out what the algorithm of the game is Mm -hmm. and then figuring out a way to write a solver for that algorithm i think that's why our game nights at the kin city looks or meetup are fun um because that is literally the job as the rest of you Uh, for those of you who haven't been, uh, this is, I don't know, we've been doing it about four years, I would say. Well, let's see. What, what have we had? We've had... Um, Connect Four. The na- Naval Warfare. Yes. Trademark-free Naval Warfare. Yeah. Uh, we had Blackjack. Uh, Blackjack. Connect Four. Robot Wars. Robot. Yeah, the, the Capture the Flag. Yep. Yeah. Uh, um, we had uh, Stratego. Stratego. Yep. Where I can't um, spell. <laughs> my mine failed because I can't spell. I don't remember what I misspelled, but one of the oh, pieces no, I that, spelled wrong. That's uh, guess who? We had Stratego and Guess Who. Stratego is the like the army one. Yeah. yeah. But Stratego, the piece names. Like I was trying to tell it to move. Oh, a, right. Yeah. It, or not move. I don't remember exactly how Stratego works, but I was trying to tell it something about a piece and I spelled the I put the atom in wrong. Like I spelled uh, it wrong. Okay. So it and so it happily like went on and didn't do anything. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Like the, the the guess who is pretty fun. Yeah, this re- the the quick solution to that was kind of surprising, um, and also like, gosh, why solution. didn't I think of that? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of like how you play it in the real world, and mm-hmm. and I can't really do the half split method in the real world because I don't know. 
I guess I could somehow. I'm trying to think of how you would do that. Cause, oh, because you could give it a list of names. That's why. Yeah. That's yeah. what made it different. And I, yeah, there's no way my daughter's going to let me be like, is it one of these 15? <laughs> well, binary nope. search right. <laughs> is the fastest way to solve that. Yeah. like It is definitely. It's much faster I than the. I my answer, though. Yeah. What, what was your strategy on that? I forgot. So I went through and I tried it two different ways and I don't remember now which one was faster, but I went through and counted all of the possible traits Mm -hmm. and then said, which one is going to eliminate the most pieces on the board? Or if it was like, keep, I don't remember if I went with that or the least pieces on the board. And I don't remember which one was faster. Because I tried it both ways because I was like, well, if it's a yes, it's going to be the opposite. Right. And so I just, I wanted to see if they were the same. They were not the same. Hmm. I thought that they would be, since it was just a binary choice, I thought it would be not the same. So then every time it would recalculate, okay, what's the, what's the most now? And so I would recalculate like exactly which choice to make each time. And I ended up, I think the second fastest and a bunch of us Mm. had the same same i guess least number of choices to get to winning solutions right there were a bunch of us that had the same thing we all went at it slightly differently but ultimately Mm. had the same algorithm yeah that was a fun one it was it was was something that i felt like i could do in one sitting Mm -hmm. like the robe the robot capture the flag i was like i could spend 15 days Writing an AI for this, where like the uh, guess who was, I, I I don't know. I just felt like there weren't so many strategies that right. you couldn't figure something out. Yeah, that and the the connect four, I think, were probably and battleship is pretty good too. I'm sorry, trademark for you, naval warfare. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they they like they presented enough of a problem space that it was interesting to do, mm-hmm. um, but also not so big that you couldn't be like. You or you're like stuck on what? What even strategy do I pick? Um, you know, I think uh, like Battleship is really about uh, how do you scan the the board um, to find a ship, and then what do you do when you get a hit? Um, I you know that there's there aren't that many strategies. The Connect Four was like you could do if if you're really smart and you knew exactly how to do the algorithm and you'd done it before, you could probably compute the entire decision tree. I oh, think yeah. it was Jeff Utter who tried that, and he ended up like crashing the the VM from out of memory. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, there was some bug in there <laughs> uh, where he just kept creating processes and not killing them. Um, yep. Uh, but like also, you know, connect Four. I think, uh, the contender that I, I, I did on that one with, with, uh, with a pair, because we were pair programming that, um, it was pretty good. It wasn't the best. It was pretty good, you know, and it just was like, well, I'm going to try to take the, the best moves I can first. And it mm-hmm. just tried several possibilities until, um, until it came out with, with like a heuristic of, well, what's generally a good move if I don't know what the best move is to take? Um, yeah. And, and uh, that worked pretty well. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, uh, I, I think more, more meetups should do this. It's, it's super fun. I think it's a good, like, community building thing in terms it of is. 
people people like enjoy to come and and uh, see how things pan out. Um, it's challenging to build one. I would say if you're going to do one with your your meetup group, just steal the ones that Alan has created. <laughs> he did a good those. job. Yeah. I, I, the two, the Naval Warfare and Connect Four were before I moved to Kansas City. Hmm. But the Naval Warfare, he did it at ElixirCom too, right? Uh, the Connect Four he did. That was the very first Four. one he did. And that was at ElixirCom. I think it was just in a like hallway track thing. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. More people should do that in the hallway track at ElixirCom too. Alan, you should have started a trend, man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, those those are always fun, and I usually end up playing with them afterwards. Which I think, mm-hmm. if if I leave and still play with something, or, or then your talk, your presentation was a good one. It had an impact, yeah. a long term impact. And I also like the ones where you sit down and work with somebody. Yeah, that maybe like I it's... don't work with every day, or I maybe I've never worked with. It yeah, I think it uh, challenges you to. Uh, to work on the way you communicate with other people. I imagine that's why you like pair programming uh, yes. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, everybody that you sit down and speak with, you have to figure out a new way because everybody's different. Yep. And then even, even if you work with the same people and you work on a different team, if one or two people on that team is different, I don't care how big the team is. It has an impact on how everybody on that team communicates. Mm-hmm even the people you've worked with before, it's really kind of strange to watch that happen. Yeah. I think for, for me lately, I haven't been pair programming that much, but sometimes I'll just, you know, use a screen sharing tool and, Mm -hmm. uh, hashtag not sponsored. We use pop. It's pretty good, but, uh, and just like open it up while I'm working, share my screen Mm -hmm. and anybody who can wants to drop in and see what I'm doing and learn kind of forces me to talk about what I'm doing instead of just doing it. Um, cool. which is good too. Uh, sometimes when I'm stuck, it's a good thing to do. At the very least, it gets me explaining some things and I leave things better than I found them. But I pick better names for things when I work with people too. We've been using VS Code and the LiveShare plugin. Okay. Cool. And then using Toucan. The, and the thing they, we, we used at CodeBeam for just yep. hanging out. Mm-hmm. Because you can wow. see like where everybody is and what they're mm-hmm. working on, and you can hop over and ask them a question and go right back to your pair without like having to shut down your pop, go to their pop, or shut down your meetup link and go to their meetup mm-hmm. link, or you just click and move over. And if you are doing pair switching, people just swap where they're sitting or who they're who they're chatting with. You can do screen share on it. It's got video and audio, and then. We use the the live view or live share VS Code live share <laughs> live view. <laughs> yeah, cursed Amos. Too, too many things with the word live. Everything uh, is live. <laughs> live share does a really cool thing too. If I start a server, it will create a tunnel to allow the person I'm sharing with to to get onto the server. S- sort of like Ngrok used to do yep. all the time. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, but it does it like. Like as long as I use the terminal inside of VS Code to start the server, it'll forward it. Or you can go in and make it forward. You can say localhost four thousand or localhost four thousand one mm-hmm. or whatever, and it'll it'll give them a way to get to your port. It'll create that tunnel for you, and you nice. can 
have more than one run in, you can also like say, you know what? I don't want to share this one with them. If you have something local, you can share terminals and make them visible or re- like read only or make them read write so they can get to it and type to it's super useful. I've seen some things like that in Emacs before, but not everybody wants to use Emacs. So I've given yeah, up. And <laughs> VS code is, it's amazing how quickly it's kind of taken over. I think they learned all the lessons from sublime text and Adam and, and any of those other like electron based. And then they had like the expertise, of the people at Microsoft who've been building IDEs for decades. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really good. I, I still haven't jumped on it. Uh, you know, I'm stuck on Emacs. It works for me. It's got a it's got an Emacs plugin for it. It's it has an org mode plugin for it. That's impressive. Yeah, org mode is wild. like pretty deep Emacs. I don't know how much of org mode is ported over. If it's all of it or just a small portion, I'm not sure. I haven't tried to dig in too much because yes, org mode is the book on org mode is much thicker than Java. The good parts. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're saying somebody needs to write org mode the good parts <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i went i was like oh, i'm gonna oh org mode has a book that's cool and i opened it up and was like whoa that's too big <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> never mind i'm out i do keep a copy of the pdf though locally in case but i don't know there's it does more than I even know that it does. So I don't even know half the time if I should go look there or not. Yeah. And any of the documentation I've read about org mode, if, if it wasn't just like one of their wiki pages, which are not that well curated, I will say full of like random things that may no longer be valid, but at least on that, they haven't had a good distinction between documentations. It's useful for a person who's working on org mode versus someone who wants to use org mode and and it's also not very solution focused mm-hmm. um so it can be like here's this entire feature and all the things you can do with it rather than well i just want to do this like finding finding how to do a very specific thing is pretty hard in their documentation and and sometimes you know individuals philosophies about how they organize their life with org mode uh, like leak into the documentation in ways that are not helpful at all <laughs> yeah and then it's you know it's in the name that it's or like to organize your life yeah but you can do so much more with it mm-hmm. i've seen presentations done in org mode maybe one by you but i've, I've done I've at seen least few four of them. presentations with org mode um <laughs> e- either exporting to a beamer which is the latex presentation mm-hmm. renderer or the m- one i've used most is um reveal js so you can export it to html that is compatible with reveal oh i didn't know that you can make it compatible yep that's pretty neat um but i've seen people like do the presentation directly in org mode too, like opening and closing yes. things and embedding images and had code in there that you can run and that's like oh. i mean a lot of that's part of that is just built into emacs itself Mm -hmm. right and then putting org org mode on top of it was i've I've done (laughs) one of those and it wasn't so great but mostly just because i was a noob with the the tool there's an additional tool on top called auric present that does that um Uh, but yeah one of one of the best presentations i saw was 
I think it was a, a closure present his presentation about something in closure and they, um, they had their sample, their code sample in the slide, and then they hit a button or two and it talked to the REPL that was running behind the closure REPL is running behind their Emacs and like spat out the result into another part of their slide. It was like, that is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> That's how most live coding exercises probably should be run. Yeah. Because you've probably been through it. Yeah. So countdown to when someone does a live book, a, whole, a presentation entirely in live book. Um, it's probably been done. I'm almost sure of it. If somebody's done that, let us know. I would like to see that presentation. Right into the show. Right into the show. And then you can be friend of the show. <laughs> oh, man. Well... I think I have got to get out of here soon. Okay. I, uh, since I was late, I booked this room up until four 30 and it is now four 30. Sorry. I was late helping people trying You're to just help too people. helpful. Amos. Yeah, well, no, I just knew I was right. And I wanted them to know, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here okay. first. Amos was okay. right. What? which doesn't happen all that often. So I have to celebrate it. But the other day I was joking with somebody and I was like, I hate being right all the time, but man, do I love being cocky. (laughs) 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 Uh, Anyway, it's really nice catching up with you. Uh, We've kind of been all over the place today, but it was fun. I think it was, it was good. I smiled and laughed a lot today. So me too. All right, sir. You have a wonderful day and I'll catch you later. See ya. Stay cool. You too.